6. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. We're not today having our normal question and answer time uh, right after the sermon as we normally do uh, for the sake of time. So, But if you do have questions, please do jot them down. Let me know. would love to talk, chat, um, or you can push them to next week and uh, as we uh, talk together um, in community life. So um, let's grow together. Let's seek answers together. But let me say a word of prayer before we begin. Let's pray. God, thank you so much already for blessing us, for pouring out your favor, kindness upon our community today. We're asking for more of the same now through your word. We pray that you would bless our hearing, that we would hear what you mean for us to hear, and not just what we want to hear from your scriptures, that you would bless my speaking, that I would speak not just what I want to speak, but what you want to be spoken through your word to all of our hearts. So please, you need to be king over this whole next uh, period of time for our life, for our joy, for our benefit. Come now, Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, a little less than two years ago, Grace Meridian Hill, our congregation, held its first official worship service. I don't know how many of you were there, or whether that seems like a long time ago or a short time ago. As a church community, we are about 21 months old, steadily moving out of infancy into toddlerhood as a church If you want to extend that metaphor a little bit, I mean, if you look around closely as a new community, you can still notice a little bit of spit up on our bibs, a little bit of, you know, occasional making a mess of our diapers as we're growing and learning how to be a church, how to love our neighbors, how to be a gospel community on mission as God has called us to be. We're a work in progress, but also by God's grace, we've been growing Over the last 21 months, we've been seeing a steady stream of new faces. We've been seeing wonderfully people embracing the good news of Jesus for the first time, learning to love one another in community, building different ways, creative ways of extending our neighborhood mission and making it effective, rolling over, starting to take our first steps, eating solid, saying our first words, you know, extend the metaphor as you will. We're maturing, we're developing as a spiritual community and as a new organization. 
Well, we are now entering a new phase of development, reaching a a new milestone, and that is where we're starting this process of raising up new elders. Since the beginning of our church, the prayer, the goal, the expectation has always been that we wouldn't have solo leadership in this community, but that we would always have a team of appointed, trained, equipped, called, gifted leaders that would lead this congregation together with the vital energy and service and participation of every member of the community as well. The expectation has been that in due time, as we grow, that we would raise up elders who would work together with me, leading this congregation as a team. So today, I'm inviting you, inviting you to be a part of a community-wide process of discerning whether that time is now. First of all, by asking you to pray for this whole process, but secondly, for those of you that are formal members of the church to be active participants in the identification of potential candidates and nominating and assessing if God is uh, really indeed raising up a few candidates in our midst, one or two, that we would then train them and elect them and ordain them. And it's an exciting thing that God is doing in our midst a significant milestone that we are reaching. And so, what we want to do in the next two weeks is to shape and guide our thinking about this process. We're going to look at the topic of leadership. The topic of leadership. And not only is is this relevant to the idea of what an elder does, who is an elder, what is a leader in the church supposed to be and do, but it really is relevant for all of life, isn't it? Especially as we are entering as a country and as a city into a season of electing new leaders nationally, locally, here in the city. This deep desire that we all have for great leaders, the sense that we have for a need for effective leaders. Well, what are you looking for? Does the Bible tell us anything? Does it give us any wisdom of how leaders ought to lead? But it's also a relevant topic because it's relevant to every single one of us. I mean, friends, you may not think of yourself as a quote-unquote leader, but do you realize that in all of our regular relationships... We lead each other all the time. In other words, we routinely use our knowledge, our skills, our power to influence other people towards a common goal. We do this all the time in our friendships, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our neighborhood. Whether if that goal is to finish a project at work, or if that goal is to motivate roommates to do their weekly chores... Or if that goal is to inspire your child to eat his dinner. Or if that goal is to persuade a friend to mend a broken relationship. We are influencing. We are directing. We are giving our knowledge and our skills, our personality, our influence towards some goal. We lead each other all the time. But are we leading well? So this topic is relevant 
for all of us. But especially as we look for new elders, raising people up as leaders in the church community, we need to know what we're looking for, what we're praying for, what we're longing for. So we're looking at this wonderful passage in this letter that was written by the Apostle Peter to a community of Christians in ancient Turkey, Asia Minor. A church that was actually facing, or a series of churches that were facing suffering and persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ. And as we know, when times are stressful, when there's chaos, when there's trouble, the need for well-equipped and solid, dependable leaders is so important. And so it makes sense that towards the end of this letter in chapter 5, The Apostle Peter would pause and try to wrap up and apply all that he has said about faithfulness in the midst of suffering and trusting in God through Jesus in the midst of persecution and trial. How all of that applies to the leaders of the church. And there are two broad themes that we find in these five short verses that teach us what elders are, what we as a church ought to be looking for, longing for, and praying for. Number one, friends, elders are shepherds. Elders are shepherds. In this passage, Peter is specifically addressing leaders. He starts in verse 1 by directing his words to the elders among you. Now that word translated elders can actually refer simply to maturity of age, a person who's biologically older than other people. But in places like this in the Bible, the word seems to refer rather to spiritual maturity. Someone that holds an office in the church, an office called the office of elder. Who, whether if they're young or old, and one person in the Bible in the New Testament called Timothy, who actually wasn't as old biologically and yet served as an elder, guide, directs, leads, cares for the church of God. And this is what the Apostle Peter says to these elders. Verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Shepherds. This actually is the dominant metaphor, the dominant description of eldering that we find in the New Testament. In Acts 20, when the Apostle Paul is actually giving a farewell address to some elders at a church in the city of Ephesus. This is what he says to them. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Leadership in the church is at its core a shepherding task. What does that mean to be a shepherd? Well, if you were to look at what the Bible says, all that it says about the work of a shepherd, we don't have a lot of shepherds around us presently. I don't know if any of you have experience in shepherding. If you were to actually talk to shepherds as certain biblical scholars have done, this is what we discover. First, 
a shepherd feeds the sheep. Sheep get hungry, naturally, and they're not very good at feeding themselves. So a shepherd takes them to green pastures and streams of water. A shepherd makes sure that the flock is sustained physically. Well, likewise, an elder makes sure that the flock, the people, is sustained spiritually. Through various forms of gospel instruction. It might be through informal counseling or through casual but intentional conversations over coffee in their home, or on the street walking along together. All different ways of interacting and influencing and bringing more of God's word and the gospel of grace to bear to the realities of life. Feeding the sheep of God. Secondly, a shepherd protects the sheep. Sheep are incredibly defenseless, vulnerable creatures. So a shepherd protects the sheep from Danger from wild animals, sometimes even putting himself in harm's way. Well, likewise, an elder protects the flock from spiritual danger. That means being willing and being able to, well, correct people when they're heading towards a spiritual cliff. That means praying with tears for someone that's been resisting God harming themselves, praying that they would return to God. Thirdly, a shepherd leads the sheep. Sheep get lost all the time. They've got really a terrible sense of direction, shepherds tell us. They need someone to guide them away from harm, towards food and shelter, through dangerous ravines before sundown. Likewise, an elder leads people. An elder casts vision. An elder maps out the way forward and guides people in the right direction. An elder works patiently with people who disagree, which tends to happen in any kind of leadership role. An elder helps to make hard decisions. As it says at the end of verse 2, an elder watches over the flock. Well, fourthly, Not only does a shepherd feed and protect and lead, but a shepherd also cares for the wounds of the sheep. Sheep get hurt on a regular basis. So the shepherd wraps their wounds and when needed, carries them in his arms. And likewise, an elder with great gentleness and compassion and sympathy and care, investing his whole heart and life into this relationship This elder cares for the spiritual and the emotional wounds of people. An elder comforts the hurting. An elder suffers with the people. Allows himself to get beat up by the brokenness in life, bearing the burdens of faithful living in the gospel together with the community. An elder prays for and with people who are struggling with fear, with doubt, with broken relationships, with physical illness. This is what a shepherd is. This is what a shepherd does. Now, to be clear, not all elders will have identical gifts, identical strengths and weaknesses, and there can be some difference of roles among elders. 
For example, in the Presbyterian church, there actually are two different kinds of elders. Some are called teaching elders, also known as pastors or ministers who have a special emphasis on public preaching and teaching. So I am actually an elder too. Others are called ruling elders who typically serve bivocationally. There are some differences of emphasis, but all elders are called to be shepherds, which means if you can hear that description of shepherding and just imagine what it looks like in real life and in community, it means that they are called to relational ministry. To the love of people, of you, of me, the spiritual care of people that are coming into relationship with God and growing in that relationship. An elder, therefore, is not simply a member of a board of directors, an advisor or sort of a trustee or executive that stands at a distance from the people. An elder's work isn't just decision-making or policy formation. An elder walks with the people. An elder cares for people, learns scripture and theology, yes, but for the love of people. Yes, it's not less than decision-making, but it's more than that. The elder makes decisions for the nurture of people, leads people, prays for people. Steve Timmis, who's a a pastor and an author in the UK, a wonderful book on servant leadership that he wrote. He says this, leadership in the church is a people business. So a key question to ask of potential leaders is a simple one. Do they genuinely love people? Do they genuinely love people? Sometimes it's a harder question to answer than it might at first seem. I know it was for me. Early on in my process of discerning a call to pastoral ministry, this is towards the end of college, started realizing that it excites me to be in a church community, to study God's Word, the Bible, to communicate it to people, to lead people in Bible studies, to walk with them, to make decisions, to do all things. And I remember talking to a friend at that time who sort of had a way of speaking the truth to you. Uh, and it kind of hits you about a year later uh, what she meant. Uh, but I remember saying, hey, I think I might be called to be a pastor, a shepherd. I love the church. And she said to me, you know, to be honest with you, you love the church, but you don't love people. You get bugged by them. You think they get in the way of the things you really want to do. Uh, You run over people sometimes, and you're very choosy about who you're deciding to love and who you're deciding not to love. Do elders genuinely love people is the question. Because they're called to be shepherds. They're called into relational ministry not just technical, administrative, managerial ministry. It's not less than that, but it is more than that as shepherds. Secondly, elders are not only shepherds, elders are servants. 
our servants. And this is where we start to see this radically different picture of what leadership and authority looks like in the church as opposed to what we commonly see everywhere around us. The Apostle Peter puts before us a picture of a servant. Well, what does that mean? Well, a couple of things. First, servant elders are willing. They labor and they love and they serve willingly. Be shepherds, Peter says in verse 2. Did you notice it? Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. You see, elders are motivated not by cold obligation or just a sense of joyless moral duty. They actually want to do this work. They want to be shepherds. They love being in people's lives. I've often said and thought as I've talked to people that have pondered whether God might be calling to them, I've often said, well, how do you know whether you or someone is supernaturally called to be an elder, to be a shepherd? Well, here's one way. You have a strange, sometimes inexplicable attraction to be involved in the mess of people's lives. Things which normally in our humanity, in our comfort-seeking self-centeredness, we would normally want to run from. And yet, strangely, you start to see it in your own heart or another person's heart, you know, See that mess? See that chaos? See that brokenness? Well, I see mine, and God has loved me and started to mend me by His grace. I would love to be a part of theirs. Peter's telling us that elders shouldn't just be people that lead because they must. We're out of a sense of, well, somebody had to do it or there was no one else around us, which is why you never want to pressure people into this role. Because then you start to see the job as drudgery. And then what happens? Think about it. When you start to do the bare minimum, you start to spend as little time and energy as possible in people's lives, and then you just start approaching your work as a checklist, checking things off and checking people off the list. Peter says, no, a shepherd, an elder, should enter into this with a sense of delight, a sense of overflow. It's a person who says to Jesus, not just this in front of me, is there anything else that I can do? Is there anyone else that I can care for? And no person is seen as too insignificant, and no task is seen as too menial. Because an elder is a servant. And I've seen this wonderfully in people that have done this role so well and fulfilled this calling so admirably just in line with what Peter is talking about here. Different people I've worked with in the past and seen from afar, there's just this positive energy, this joy, this enthusiasm. It doesn't mean that they don't have healthy personal boundaries 
or that they'd never know when to say no to a request. But there's a genuine sense of them being on call to serve whenever, however, and to whomever. It's such a pleasure to see. And when you do see it, you start to say to yourself, that's what it looks like to be called by God to do this work. Servant elders are willing. Servant elders are in it for others. This is also what it means to be a servant. You're in it for others. You see, Peter recognizes that it is so easy as leaders and so common to start to be motivated by personal gain. What's in it for me? Money, reputation, recognition, power. You lead, but you do it out of selfish interests. You do it for yourself. As one writer has put it so helpfully, all too often, Christians in leadership have worn the robes of the ruler, not the apron of the servant. In verse 2, Peter says this, Be shepherds, not pursuing dishonest gain or shameful gain, but eager to serve. And that word eager to serve is literally, in the original language, first passion. That it's a shepherd's first passion not to seek his own gain, but rather the gain of other people. And sometimes even at great cost to yourself. Putting the needs of other people before your own. Filling your mind and your heart with another person, even when sometimes there's not as much room or energy for yourself. An elder's gaze is fixed on the flock Asking themselves, are the people being fed? Is this brother growing in Christ? How is this sister doing? Their mind and their hearts are full of someone else. And it can be costly. It can even hurt at times. To be called as an elder, friends, is a call to suffer. Like Jesus, in the pattern of Jesus, who Peter in the first verse reminds us was a suffering Christ. This is the pattern. This is the model. To be a servant means to lay your life down, to not be in it for me, to not be ascending to glory, to not gain public recognition, to not always gain emotional recognition or blessing for all that you're doing, but to lay your life down like Jesus did For you, for me. The road is a road to death. It's a trembling calling. It ought to be at least. But this is what it means to be a servant. A servant elder. That's not only willing and not only in it for others. But thirdly, Peter says, who are humble. Humble. Verse 5. All of you close yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor, gives grace to the humble. And in verse 3, more specifically, Peter says, Look, be shepherds, again, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. And this word translated lording it over means to rule over forcefully. To be domineering. And we see this kind of leadership all the time. We experience it. Maybe this is what makes you intimidated or unsure about the idea of spiritual leadership at all. 
It suggests here a harsh or an excessive use of power, strong-arming people to get your way. And maybe that just sounds a little bit too crass. Like you got this monster of a person in a leadership role, when in reality, it works itself into the church and into relationships, I think, a little bit more subtly. What's a person that's like this, lording it over other people? Well, I think you're a type of leader who is never wrong. Or always has to get your way. Or you never seek input from other people. You kind of fly solo all the time. Or you refuse to delegate because you're sure no one can do it as well as you can. You get angry when other people get credit for the work that maybe you did. You lead by threats or by subtle manipulation, intimidation. You get outward conformity from people, usually because they're afraid of you. They'll kind of just do what you want them to do, but little internal change, spiritual transformation. You see, yes, an elder does have true authority. Interestingly, at the last verse here, Peter even does use the language of submission to describe a joyful, appropriate dynamic between the leader and the people that are following him, the elder. There is true authority. The elder does need to exercise leadership. There is shepherding. But it's not always just bossing people around, telling people what to do, a pure top-down flow of power. Rather, Peter says what? Be examples to the flock. And as I was studying this earlier on this week, I was thinking, in what way is being examples to other people a counter to this domineering approach to leadership, this authoritarian wielding of power, how is being an example opposite of doing that power thing? And I think this is the answer. At least this is the best I've come up with so far. To be an example, you've got to lay your life bare. Which means you're sharing your true self with other people. And sometimes you don't look so hot, do you? It means taking the low place in all humility and honesty. And letting people get close enough to you where they can see your sin and see your weaknesses and see your great need for the gospel. They see you and they say, you are a trophy of the grace of God. And if you, my dear leader are called by God in His service for all the flaws that I can see in you, then the God that you're serving and the God that I'm coming to know must be a God of grace. Because there's no other way of explaining how you got in there. Being an example to the flock, which is so different from leading by force, which by definition entails keeping people at a distance. Where you're saying, I'm up here and you're down here and I tell you what to do and you don't ask questions and you certainly don't get close. Peter says, let people in. Let them see your life. Let yourself say, do as I do, which you can only say if they know what you do and how you live. People that are seen, people that are known by the people 
But example, more than just in the sense of being an example of morality and righteousness, but an example of repentance. Showing people your great need for the good news of grace. Showing people the joy of having your sins forgiven. Not domineering, but being shoulder to shoulder with members of the flock and saying, I need a savior too. And I'm hungry and starving too. And I'm not the bread and the water, but I know where we can find him. Jesus, the bread of life. Jesus, the water of life. Sustenance for hungry sheep. So an elder knows how to repent. An elder has a life-defining quality of humility. An elder is able to give an open heart and an open life before the people and say, follow me as I follow Christ, the Savior of sinners. Do you see, Peter is concerned with the elders' motives and manner more than he's concerned with their method. It's something that's worth noticing. We'll talk about it a little bit more next week as well. The way that the New Testament focuses on attitudes more than aptitudes, abilities. And so we have in front of us here this picture of a servant, the elder as a servant, which leads us to the final point very briefly. Elders are shepherds, elders are servants, and elders themselves are sheep. Sheep themselves. Verse 4 reminds us that there's a chief shepherd, and elders are simply vice shepherds, or servant shepherds, under shepherds. Because the elders themselves don't stand apart from the flock, from the people. They themselves are the beneficiaries of the great shepherd who needed to rescue them, bind up their wounds, feed them, protect them, guide and lead them. They are first and foremost sheep. Lame, distracted, wandering, lost, needy, hungry sheep. And it's out of that acknowledgement and embrace that the elder so leans. Out of the experience of the good news of God's grace, out of the humility of knowing that there's nothing in yourself that qualifies you for such a task. Because God doesn't call the qualified, but rather He qualifies those whom He Cause, giving whatever skills and grace and abilities are necessary to fulfill this task of shepherding. Elders cannot do their job well unless they acknowledge that first and foremost, even before being shepherds, they are sheep. And that everything they do in relation to other people is simply an outflow and overflow of everything they have experienced from God through Jesus. So I'm a shepherd and I feed and I lead and I protect and I guide and I bind up wounds and all these things. But for goodness sakes, where does the energy to do that with such willingness, with such other centeredness, 
with such generosity, with a repentant example, where does that come from? It comes from saying, well, if my chief shepherd has led me so, how can I not lead others in the same way? If my shepherd has been so gentle with me and all my flaws and all my screwed upness, how can I not also be gentle with others? If my shepherd has given me not just resources for life, but his heart, how can I not also give my heart my relationship with people? If he's given me so much time, how can I not give time? If he's given me his life, how can I not lay down my life for the sheep? Here's the secret of the power of the true elder, the true shepherd. That they see themselves first and foremost as sheep. And anyone that gets that flipped around, misses the mark, and lasses the, uh, loses the true source of energy, inspiration, and endurance for carrying out the task. Friends, an elder is a shepherd. An elder is a servant, someone who loves people, someone who's eager to serve and take the low place. Will you join me in praying that God would provide us with elders like this? Whether in the next few weeks, months, years, we'll trust in God's timing. But this is the new season that we're entering into, discerning what God is up to in our community in individual people's lives, seeing if he might just be at work raising up some good elders, some good shepherds. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this vision of leadership. And it's true that this is relevant to every kind of leadership, every kind of role of influence that we have, your central concern with people in relationships the way in which you call us to be servants, to serve with joy, to care about the needs of others before our own, all these different ways. God, we pray that you would raise up people over time like this, and that you would give our community wisdom and discernment and skill in identifying and mutually equipping one another for such a task. Well, thanks first and foremost for our chief shepherd, Jesus, our Savior, who has loved us so well and is teaching us how to love. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. Let's stand together and let's sing.